Welcome to Much More Much Year with Pup Duffy and Kara Lane, an Aunt Imagination production. Guys, it is October and we are just a few weeks away from Halloween. So today we're going to cover a very scary topic, fitness. Just kidding. But it is the time of year where we start to go off the rails health-wise. We have Halloween candy, Thanksgiving excess, and Christmas cookies. So today we have online coach Chris Holt of beyondthetats.com. Welcome to the show. I'm so glad you could join us. I'm really excited to talk to you because this is the time of year that all of, you know, if you've been doing good all year, right? Sticking to your goal. Yep. Now is when we, we kind of lose our mind, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, diet and fitness wise. Yep. Tell everybody a little bit about how you got into fitness, how you got to be, you know, you. Okay. Um, well, I am originally an architect. So I went to the School of Architecture at the University of Miami. It's a five-year degree, super grueling five years. And then graduated in 06, uh, was working for a firm downtown in Miami and 2008 hit. Everything stopped, building economy crashed. Uh, so I decided to leave that profession to open at the time, the second CrossFit gym in Miami. So opened that affiliate in 2008 and I owned and operated that with uh, my business partners for 10 years. Um, and then kind of got into CrossFit kind of, uh, or I've been in the CrossFit space since 2005. So I started uh, CrossFit in college. So it was still kind of online. No one knew what it was. I was just getting the workouts online on CrossFit.com. Um, but I basically, I mean, I am kind of doing this backwards. I got into (laughs) fitness because, uh, you know, I played sports my entire life, you know, um, I'm an identical triplet. My brothers and I were adopted from Korea. And, uh, so my dad worked for Exxon mobile. So we lived overseas my entire life. So, uh, kindergarten to fifth grade or before Singapore, we were in Italy, kindergarten, fifth grade, we were in Singapore, uh, sixth grade, middle of seventh, we were in London, middle of seventh to 10th grade, we were in Norway. So I was exposed to a lot of different cultures, customs, sports, activities, stuff like that. So when I was 16, I had my first of four lung collapses. And then that put me out of commission for, I was living basically in a hospital for like three or four years. And so I had withered down to like nothing by the time I got to college. So I had my last lung surgery right before I graduated high school. Um, Got to college at like, I think I weighed, I don't know, 120 pounds, maybe. Um, and then when I got to college living in Miami, it was all about beach bods. It's just like, Hey, let's just get jacked and bench press and just not do squats and whatnot. And so, uh, just started lifting weights and kind of got into bodybuilding and then realized that, that I'm not a bodybuilder and I was actually doing more harm to, um, the scar tissue in my chest and stuff like that by isolating muscles. And that's how I found CrossFit. So CrossFit was more multi-joint movements, functional movements, things that you do every day. You sit down, you stand up, you pick up things off the ground, you put things on shelves. These are all functional movements. Um, So that's how I kind of got into fitness. And then obviously did that career change um, in 2008 and basically have been in the fitness industry or CrossFit world for sure uh, since, since then. Wow. You, you hit me with like five or six, oh my God moments just now. (laughs) You said you went to the university of Miami. So I was thinking, oh, he's a Florida, he's a Florida boy. No, you're not. (laughs) You're you're an everywhere. 
Yeah, um, we're called third culture kids, just people that have uh, basically cannot identify with one culture because we've been exposed to so many. So, you know, I have a lot of friends that I still keep in touch with. That I went to school with in Singapore and London and Norway. Um, and I see, you know, regularly. I mean, most of us ended up in Houston because all our parents work for oil. So yeah. Texas is a big oil town. Yeah, definitely not from Florida, even though, you know, I was there for 17 years, which was the longest I've ever been in one place. Oh. Um, yeah, I really, I just tell everyone that I'm from wherever my parents are currently living. That's yeah. I'm from Ohio now. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, there's nothing wrong with being not exposed. Well, I guess exposed to different cultures. I think it would make you a more well-rounded human. I understand that maybe you can't, a kid might not be able to, to grasp onto one or, and mm-hmm. especially adopted that you're originally from Korea. So that's already something that you're adapting to, but you turned out. Okay. seems like, Oh no. Yeah. Everything was great. I mean, my brothers and I were fortunate to be adopted into a huge loving family. Um, I have eight brothers and sisters all total. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I mean, being able to see so much at such a, such a young age, Mm-hmm. I think you don't, I just remember just, uh, <laughs> I look back on it now and I just think, man, I, we were so spoiled because everywhere we went, my parents made it a point for us to, um, it would always be the same conversation before we were moving. It would be family meeting. I was like, oh man, we're moving again. And so mm-hmm. my parents would always lay out the pamphlets and brochures of the new country we we're going to, the new school we were going to go to. And every time we got to that new country, my parents would always sit us down and say, look, you need to be very mindful of hand gestures, mannerisms, because we're in a new culture. You just need to be mindful of that uh, because you can offend someone being in a different country, you know? So um, I just remember they also, you know, took us everywhere, you know, like, oh, we're going to go sightseeing. We're going to go see the castles. We're going to see Ireland. We're going to see Scotland. We're going to go all over Europe. We're going to go over Southeast Asia. We're going to go to Australia. And it was just like this, ugh, why do we have to get on another plane? And I remember seeing Stonehenge and I got so upset. I was like, it's just a bunch of stupid rocks in the middle of nowhere. Why are we out here? It's cold. It's wet. Like, I don't like this. And then we went to, I think they took us to see the London Symphony Orchestra twice. And I fell asleep both times. I mean, little things that I just feel like I wish I could go back and hit myself and say, look, like people would pay thousands of dollars to travel and experience these things. And you're taking it for granted, you know? So you know, it is what it is when you're, you know, young, but, uh, but yeah, got to see a lot. So I'm just imagining all the different types of food. I mean, you said just in Italy, Singapore, Norway, you know, oh God, did you grow up not see that's the thing, uh, the way we grew up because my dad is from Spain. We had to try it. We didn't have to finish it. We didn't like it was yeah. same for you. Did you? Oh did yeah. That? I mean, you were kind of forced to, it wasn't this like, I get that idea of like, you know, um, you got to try it before you say you don't want it. But for us, there was no choice. It really, yeah. you didn't have a choice. It's yeah. You could find chicken nuggets at McDonald's and stuff like that. But ultimately my parents didn't feed us that. So, you know, it was, Hey, you know, we're in this new country and, you know, but I, we were never picky eaters, I think. Um, so, I mean, the best food, honestly, the, um, the, um, the food courts in um, Singapore, they're called hawker markets or hawker stalls. Uh, they have, and they're each individually owned by families. So it's, it's when you say food court in this country, it's like, 
disgusting. Yeah. Uh, but food courts in Singapore, I mean, literally just the most uh, five-star type of food, you know. Um, Norway was great just because you had, you know, amazing seafood. And uh, I remember um, when we go up to the mountains, go skiing, um, we'd stop in these little restaurants. And uh, there was this one place we went and had, uh, they serve reindeer meatballs. And oh it was basically venison meatballs, but they served it with mashed peas and this gravy. And it was literally the most comfort food feeling dish that you could possibly think of. And so, I mean, I get, you know, like my girlfriend's uh, daughter is very picky. Uh, I mean, she only eats pasta and wow. pizza <laughs> um, <clears throat> and lots of sugar. So okay. it's kind of challenging to see her be so picky because I always think, man, first off, I mean, she's five. Okay. She's going to be picky. It's fine. Uh, but you miss out on so much. And again, I think when she gets older, she'll hopefully be a little more open-minded to trying things, but you know, there's just so much out there and, and it's, it's all amazing. And yeah. you to just try it. I mean, I've tried some really weird stuff, you know, um, actually the weirdest stuff I've ever had is actually I moved to Texas where I live now. Um, <laughs> So I used to work for a man called Liver King. Um, he's uber famous now, but uh, because of him, I was eating raw bull testicles, uh, raw heart, um, liver, all the organs. Um, that I think would be probably the most adventurous stuff that I've ever had currently. So, did what do you? I'm sorry, you you lost me at the raw bull testicles. Yeah. So yeah, liver king, like we, I believe in like a nose to tail nutrition. Like I think that, um, people don't realize that the most nutrient dense foods on the planet are organs. Uh, but the problem is there's a stigma attached to them. Most people don't like the flavor of them. Uh, and don't get me wrong. Some organs just taste terrible, like kidney terrible. Like there's no way in my opinion that you can cook that to make that taste good. Um, but there are nutrient, um, um, pros to them. So, uh, Yeah. So I was just starting to, I mean, I've been incorporating organ meats into my diet for a while now. So lots of benefits. You're right about the stigma and not to get off on a whole tangent about uh, organs, but my ex-husband loves liver and onions, but he can only eat it like once a year. I don't, yeah. I, don't I guess it's too rich. Maybe it's too. Well, I will say that liver is probably not my favorite uh, organ, but it is the most nutrient dense. Um, and they make lots of like freeze dried capsule versions of that. So there's other ways that you can be getting liver and I take liver capsules every day, um, cool. just to get it in your, in your system, you know, because I prefer taking a freeze dried capsule than cooking it or sourcing it, cooking it, eating it, stuff like that. But other organs like raw bone marrow, delicious. I'll eat heart. Um, that stuff is all heart tastes like a steak to me. Um, mm -hmm. honestly, the, the, uh, grass fed bull testicles, I know it sounds really gross and I was really like, uh, I don't know, uh, tastes like scallops. They're really, really good. Um, so yeah, but again, it's where do you source these things from? Right. I'm not going to eat something that comes from a cow that is like poorly treated or, or fed. Um, so there is a company in Georgia called white Oak pastures. Uh, they're a great regenerative farm, um, in I think Bluffton, Georgia, uh, and everything that they produce is just literally gold standard, um, that you can get tallows, you can get organ meats, you can get regular meat, you can do anything. Um, 
uh, and there everything is regeneratively farmed, so it's responsible farming. You're not overgrazing the land and all those other things, which a lot of people have issues with, which I do too. So, right, same. But that's I think that's a thing that a lot of people um, that embrace being a vegetarian or being a vegan. Even I have a yeah. friend who's and no, <laughs> I'm not at all. But my, specifically, I think she goes a little overboard. Like she will not eat honey. She will not eat figs. Yeah. Yeah. The thing, you know, I'm not, I respect people's choices. 100%. I coach people through vegetarian vegan plans, even though I don't agree with them. Um, I just think that a lot of people think, okay, look, if it's an ethical thing, totally respect that. But if you're doing it for, oh, this is healthier. uh, I'm going to question that and, and kind of um, push back just because, you know, human beings have been evolving for 2.5 million years and we've been evolving off of like our brains are the size they are because of animal fat, you know, and protein and all these different things. So, um, the issue here is that a lot of like, look, you can get protein from beans for sure. But what people don't realize is that that protein is not bioavailable. So meaning it, all that protein is kind of tied up in the fibrous parts of that bean. So you may be thinking you're getting protein by ingesting it, but you're not, you're not getting the amounts you think you are. So you would have to eat a ton of beans and legumes to match the same protein getting from just animal protein. Um, but more importantly, any guy specifically, or even woman that wants to build muscle, you know, you're going to get that more, those rich amino acid profiles and break, um, um, nutrients, uh, you're going to get through animal protein, um, things like leucine and, and all the things that drive mTOR that grow muscles. You you just can't really find abundant sources in plant-based proteins. Um, now, Again, if every, there is no one size fits all diet, I, I truly believe that. So whatever works for you, I just mm-hmm. know that people that are vegan or vegetarian, they're always anemic, always, you know, and, and they always come to me or the ones I do work with, they always seem surprised. And I'm like, well, you're not getting any protein. Like I would, I would already assume that you are anemic based on the fact of what you're eating, you know? Um, so again, the problem is, is that diet, um, things like religion, I mean, all politics, they're all polarizing topics today. So it's, it's, it's sad that we can't have these discussions, um, because as soon as someone says I'm vegan, it's like, oh, like I can't talk to you or, oh, I'm a Republican. I, I can't talk to you. You know? So it's like, why can't we coexist and have conversations? Because look, there are some merits to some plants. I'm not going to say, I mean, I, I am a fan of, uh, vegetables and plants and stuff like that. That's fine. Um, but you know, we're going to thrive more off of, uh, animal protein and fat. So, yeah, the, I'm okay. The, the, I was a vegetarian for probably like five years and I could tell you if it was for ethical reasons or for health reasons, you know, in my head, or if, you know, that was just a cool thing to be right. But I still and I haven't for many, many, many years, I don't eat pork and it's not a religious thing. It's completely because I accidentally saw a video. Yeah. And I, yeah, yeah. I can't do it. Yeah. I mean, look, you can find, <clears throat> you can find videos showing how they process chickens and cattle and stuff like that, you know, and, and at the end of the day, you know, I, I think there are ways to do that, obviously that are humane and, and whatnot, but um, ultimately, you know, that's the thing that is always funny to me. It's, you know, 
we enjoy the the product, but we don't want to know how it it got there, right? Or how it got to, you know, and so I think that the whole process is honestly that circle of life. Like I I I think there's something beautiful about it. If like let's just say we were hunters, you're gonna have to kill an animal, you know, but at least you don't waste it. You know, and that's what I like about um white oak pastures is that they do not waste any part of the animal. And I think that that's super important because typically most companies just throw the organs out. You know, but those organs are, like I said, nutrient dense and they have value. So as long as you're not wasting the animal, then you're respecting the animal, in my opinion, you know, um, but too often commercial farming is, is just terrible. And so I get why people are turned off when they see that type of farming and that type of process, because it is inhumane. It's, it makes me sick, you know, um, but, you know, we just need to start supporting local farmers and companies that are doing it correctly because commercial farming is just unfortunately um, the thing is it's also cheaper in the grocery store. It's like people are going to buy cheaper meat. And I get that we're all on a budget. I get it. Um, but when you can try to support local farmers. Right. Absolutely. And there's a lot of things out there. I don't want to name name, but there's a lot of um, even people like companies that will deliver it to your home, you know, yeah. here they have a, a, what is it? A farm to farm to table thing or so that's kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. I, you said something, and I swear to God, this is a whole this is a whole another show. But you're right; it's it costs a lot to eat well. Mm. And people say, "Oh, I can go to the grocery." You know what? No, you can't because ramen is thirty three cents a yeah. container, and you know these good boneless, skinless chicken is like eight ninety nine. It's like people are making these choices at the grocery store, and like I said, that's a whole another conversation. But yeah. it's costs so it costs a lot to eat healthy. Yeah. I, I think the other issue here is another bigger topic with regards to sugar. Um, mm -hmm. because lots of studies have shown that it's upwards towards addictive than cocaine. Um, but it's not demonized and I'm not saying we should demonize food at all. I think people need to know and be aware that sugar, sorry, my cats are being crazy. <laughs> sugar is not taxed or regulated in this country and it never will be. And food companies have spent lots of money to make sure that never happens. So what that means is that food companies are legally allowed to put any type of sugar in our foods. As long as they don't break a certain threshold, they're legally allowed to label it, market it and sell it as a health food, no sugar-free, no sugar product. So that's why the nutritional fact box was designed. It was designed to get consumers away from reading the fine print because legally, if they don't break those thresholds, they can put zero grams of sugar in the nutritional fact box and the consumer thinks there's no sugar in it. But if you read the ingredients, hundred percent, it's going to have some form of sugar, whether it be yeah. maltodextrin, dextrose, sucralose, aspartamine, uh, cane syrup, well, whatever it is, there are literally dozens of versions of sugar that they can legally put in there. And it's all because why they're trying to make money. They know mm -hmm. they shareholders, they have profit margins they're trying to meet. So if they can put an addictive substance in our foods, then they're going to come back and buy more. So that is the system we live in, you know, and unfortunately people think that they're eating healthy, but everything, I mean, you can find pre-made guacamole out of five brands, three of them have sugar in them, mm -hmm. you know, all your bacon, sugar, sausage, sugar, you know, so it's in everything in things that people don't think sugar should be in, but they put it in anyway. And you can find clean versions, but you got to do your due diligence and, and really read ingredient lists and start avoiding nutritional fact boxes because that is, you know, just trying to get you, it's distracting you from what's actually in there. So that's the bigger issue is that most Americans don't realize that 
they can't stop eating because they're eating foods that have sugars in them that spike insulin. Insulin is a fat storage hormone, spikes dopamine, which really is what people are addicted to. People tell me all the time, I'm addicted to sugar. I'm going to have a sweet tooth. I addicted to French fries. I'm like, no, you're not addicted to any of those things. You're addicted to the response you get from consuming those foods, which is insulin and dopamine. And mm -hmm. lots of studies have shown through people that are insulin resistant, that insulin actually blocks the hormone leptin, which tells our body we're full. So this is why most Americans can't stop eating. It's not that they're full. They just constantly forage, snack, binge, eat all night, all day. And so I tell people, look, it has nothing to do with motivation or discipline. You are a human being with a fully functioning brain. Your brain is being hijacked by food technology, which has been designed to be hyper palatable. So that is the issue that, that we need to address is that these food companies are profiting off of processes in our brains that they know of. And so they're engineering food to hijack those systems. And that's essentially all it is. So, you know, we just need to get off of that stuff, you know? And it, again, it's, look, if you took sugar, flour, heroin, cocaine, and put it on a table, you're not going to tell which one's which. They're all fine white powders. So mm -hmm. the issue here is that in their raw forms, they're, you have, you have sugar, um, sugar cane, uh, you have wheat, you have poppy plants, you have coca leaves. Those four things in their raw form are physically, literally impossible to get addicted to. You can chew on sugarcane. It's not that sweet. You can chew on a piece of wheat. It's not going to taste very good. You can eat poppy plants until you're blue in the face. Nothing's going to happen minus you're not going to be able to pass a drug test. And then coca leaves people chew on all the time when they're climbing Machu Picchu or they have altitude sickness. You get a little numbing in your cheek and that's about it. But as soon as we refine these things to find powders, eat them, ingest them, inject them, or snort them, now they're highly volatile and addictive. So your brain doesn't know, oh, you just took in some cocaine. It's just the same part of your brain that gets lit up. Obviously, other things happen after you snort cocaine or you eat sugar, but ultimately it's that same um, part of your brain that gets fired. So we, we just need to understand that, you know, sugar is honestly, in my opinion, the root of all evils in terms of health and wellness in this country. And in most of the world. I mean, again, I lived overseas and you don't find a lot of this stuff in the foods, you know, you'll find processed foods, but nothing like America. I mean, America is number one. Um, oh. So again, I don't want to demonize sugar, but, and I'm not saying you can't have it because like we were saying, the holidays are coming up. Yeah. Mm. Everything has sugar in it, you know, and I'm not saying you can't enjoy something here and there, but people also need to realize that dessert or these sweet things really they were only meant for celebratory events or mm -hmm. holidays or stuff like that. And that happens a few times out of the year. But the problem is everyone thinks I ate dinner. I deserve something sweet. I had lunch. I deserve something sweet. I had breakfast. I deserve something sweet. So you're having dessert three times a day, you know? So that's not somehow that got, you know, it was kind of this uh, bad case of telephone, you know, where, or now it's like people have, you give an inch and they go a mile with it. So. Right. I, I absolutely believe that about the sugar, because like you said, it's in your hamburger bun. It's in the Thanksgiving table. You're right. It, I think it is a very, very, very American thing. And we're not hate, not Americans, but we're, it is yeah. a very, to have big candy bars, right? I mean, oh, yeah. why? Yeah. You, you know, one person's not buying that to share it with somebody yeah. that can get eaten by me. Okay. I'm not sharing with your family, but and, and we have so many packaged things. It's, it's crazy. And soda, soda is another thing. I went from diet soda, which is probably bad for me as well, but it's better than, I guess, than the regular soda. But I went from a job where I was active 
walking, standing, moving to a job where I sat, I gained 30 pounds. Yep. It, and it's, it's exactly because I'm drinking coffee with creamer all day. I'm instead of having one lunch, you know, at the other job, I'm sitting at the desk and I'm snacking, like you said. And so we have to really be conscious of what we're eating. And for me, what I have found that seems to be the easiest concept, and I don't want to, and I know you don't want to either, but we don't want to raise one diet over the other, but the paleo can grow it if you can hunt it, you know, that kind of thing. So that's what I I coach a lot of my clients through is I, I don't think there's a one size fits all diet, but I think there is a good baseline for everyone. And paleo, and again, I loosely use the term paleo because there are lots of different versions of paleo, just like there are lots of different versions of keto and all this stuff. But to me, paleo is just cutting out refined sugars, refined carbohydrates, dairy, legumes, corn, soy, and wheat. Like those things are not good for digestive health. They're not good for weight loss or weight management, but ultimately it's just real whole foods, um, whatever. I mean, essentially, look, we're not going to be like our ancestors in hunting and foraging and gathering ourselves but we want to stick to whole foods, you know? Um, and yeah, I, I, I truly believe in a paleo diet or even, you know, carnivore is a little more on an outer extreme for some people, but just getting protein carbohydrates in the form of fruits and vegetables. Um, I'm a fan of rice and potatoes, but not until someone has kind of lost the weight that they want to lose or get to where they want to be. Um, and then we could do some carb testing and talk about rice and potatoes, but ultimately things like gluten, pasta, bread. I mean, the only bread I might promote is sourdough just because it's fermented and it's better on the digestive track in terms of how you, um, absorb it and digest it. But other than that, I mean, you know, some people are like, Oh, don't you ever miss bread? And I'm like, not really. I mean, because when I eat it, I feel like crap. So, I mean, it's just, people are so used to eating certain things that they don't understand or notice how they're feeling. So as soon as I get people losing weight through eating a whole food diet, just three meals a day, no snacking, they're like, wow, I'm sleeping better. Oh, wow. I'm uh, my, obviously my clothes are fitting better. Uh, my energy levels are better. Like I have people that have ADHD. Like I don't need to take my medication anymore. I'm like, yeah, because sugar affects that, you know? So I think that food is medicine, you know, just like movement. Um, so, but I mean, set diet and exercise aside, those things are not the end all be all to a healthy lifestyle. You know, like I also promote things like grounding, getting outside, getting sun, doing some cold exposure, bonding with loved ones, doing breath work, meditation, um, uh, you know, stuff like that is it's all free, you know, um, how, how do you, you know, are you focusing on your sleep quality? Because sleep is that low hanging fruit that we could all be focusing more on, which a lot of people think that, oh, I didn't get enough sleep. So I'll make it up. Like there's sleep debt. Right. Studies have shown you cannot make up sleep debt. That's not how that works. You've lost that sleep. That's gone forever. You can't take more naps and then catch up with it. It just, it, it snowballs. So I work with my clients on those things as well. Like, it's not just about what you put in your mouth and how you move. It's like, Hey, let's talk about, you know, how do you set yourself up for the best night of sleep? How do you manage your stress? You know, all these things that are just as important, if not more important, in my opinion, to focus on. And they're free. The problem is most people just overlook them. I mean, honestly, cold exposure. Most people don't want to do it. So many benefits, you know, and you don't have to go buy an ice bath or a cold plunge or anything like that. You know, you can just start slow, take a hot shower the last 30 seconds, turn as cold as you can, you know, and just start there and then do that for a week and then go to 45 seconds or a minute. And then before, you know, just take a full cold shower. 
yes, it sucks in the very beginning, <laughs> but the, the feeling uh, that you feel afterwards and the physiological response you get from doing those things or doing cold exposure, I mean, they're awesome, you know, but you just gotta, you gotta do it, you know, so. I have just started doing that uh, at, like you said, at the end of the shower, turning it cooler mm-hmm. and cooler until mm-hmm. I'm like, <laughs> until my heart <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you feel refreshed, I guess. No. Like, yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah, you, you feel energy, you know, it's invigorating. I mean, that's why, I mean, most cultures, uh, do it, you know, um, depending on the world or the part of the world you live in, obviously you might probably not going to have access to cold environments, but <clears throat> any of the Nordic countries or any place that gets cold, uh, you can trace back. Like some of the stuff was just what they did. They just did jumped in the lake, you know, or did something like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, even if you didn't want to go super cold, you can still go somewhat cold and just stay in there longer, you know? Yeah. And it, obviously a shower is not going to be the same thing as sitting and submerging your body in like a tub or a lake. Um, so it's not going to be, I would say, I wouldn't say that you can't get the full benefits of it, but it's not going to be the same thing. Um, but if you're going to be in the shower, you got to really submerge yourself in that water. You know, I know it's natural to kind of want to be like this, um, <laughs> but, but you'll be surprised. It's just like anything else. Like you start to acclimate it, acclimate to it once you start doing it more often. And yeah, the initial feeling sucks, but after, you know, a minute, two minutes, you're like, okay, it's not that bad. You know, it's like, I've been in cold plunges that are 38 degrees and those are, that's just painful. Like, honestly, I, I've done a 38 degree cold plunge maybe five times. Uh, I haven't been able to last it. Like maybe a minute was my longest. And I have friends that can sit in there for 10 minutes, 15 minutes. So, but it's just anything you build up that resilience. Right. And it's also, as you know, what I like about cold plunging and just cold exposure is that it's a mental game because you need to really, it, it creates mental fortitude, you know, because you're doing something that's hard. You're doing something that's uncomfortable. And we all know living outside that comfort zone is where we all grow as, as human beings. So you can push those limits in any form or fashion. People think, oh, I just need to do something, I don't know, uh, something physically hard, or I have to lift a bunch of weights, or I need to go climb a mountain. It's like, no, just sit in a, a cold yeah. lake. That's just as challenging for some people uh, than, you know, climbing Machu Picchu or, you know, whatever. I think that you, I think that you have... Uh touched on a key a key part as to why a lot of <laughs> grown-ups older people because I I'm a Florida I'm a Florida girl I'm in Florida I can remember being in the hot tub jumping in the pool right yeah. this is a, yeah. I know what you're talking about yeah. and yet we're not our bodies were awesome but and our energy was off the charts but now we're older things hurt you were saying uh, about the the flexibility and the, I what the, but the being able to move this whole working on my ass for a year yeah. to reach for things. And I know it's because of inactivity, you know, sedentary uh, lifestyle kind of thing. What would you say for someone <clears throat> of my age in this situation, <laughs> aside from cold plunge and now, you know, Florida, I would love to be able to like go and lay in the grass and like commune yeah. with the yeah. earth. However, there's fire ants. So for someone like me, just to start out, I'm already attacking the diet issue. I got an eye on it. I'm looking at it. We understand. My son is uh, autistic, epileptic, Mm -hmm. and because of the the same 
He actually did keto. He lost a ton of weight. This was a couple of years ago. He lost way too much weight to where they took him off the keto. I lost right. enough. So just a couple little tips for me personally. Well, I would first off just eliminate all sugars as if possible. Even the diet sodas are just as bad as the regular sodas. You know, aspartamine in large doses is cancerous. So yeah. So I had a client, he might've been in his late forties when I met him. Um, and he was in the middle stages of going through chemotherapy for cancer. And we had discussed nutrition and, and stuff like that. And, uh, he said that he had a lot of food phobias. Um, and out of everyone I've ever worked with in the past almost 20 years, this was definitely the most extreme. Like he couldn't eat things that were green, uh, eggs just grossed him out. I mean, basically he was, his diet consisted of McDonald's and, and, and diet Coke. And so it stemmed from his childhood, right? Because his mother, uh, he wouldn't eat the school lunch. So his mother would drive him McDonald's every day in school. So he was that cool kid in the cafeteria was getting McDonald's, mm -hmm. but that's all he eats. And he was drinking. And again, this is extreme three to four liters of diet Coke a day. So developed cancer and his physician said, look, the amount of spartamine that you've been consuming over the past 20 years, we're sorry, this is probably why you have cancer. So, you know, I got him off the soda, you know, which was very challenging because again, he's addicted to it, right? When you're drinking copious amounts of that type of sweetener and that type of drink, you're going to be, you know, hooked. Um, so I would say for you, it's like really reading ingredient lists, cutting out all sugar minus fruit, maybe some honey, um, honey and, and maple syrup are fine, but they are a slippery slope. Um, but as soon as you can cut out that stuff, um, you've already, I mean, that's like the biggest challenge. Right. Um, but secondly, it's, it's really more about, I mean, sure. You could do stuff like getting a standing desk. Don't sit, stand, you know, work on that because I've, well, um, you know, I, I, unfortunately I don't have an office here, but um, you know, I was doing a lot of standing when I was working because my previous job, I was just doing emails and you'd be surprised just standing. It's hard. Like if you're not used to it, like you get fatigued. And so building that threshold up and that ability is great. Um, so you're not just in a chair all day, but honestly, the biggest thing for everyone is consistency, you know, because anyone can do something for a little bit, but until you've created a habit, um, mm -hmm. that's going to be the, the, the biggest thing because, um, you know, it's like everyone that I work with for nutritional coaching, uh, most nutritional coaches will do the same thing. You know, they'll, they'll give you a template. They'll give you recipes. They'll give you macros. They'll give you something, just a cookie cut sheet here. I've calculated based on your goals, your height, your weight, where you want to get to your sex, all that stuff here you go, kind of spit you out a piece of paper. And then they'll say, good luck. I'll talk to you in a week. And for the life of me, I don't understand why people buy into the system because it doesn't work. There's zero accountability. There's as much as the client thinks they're getting a customized plan. Yeah. Is it, you know, because really they're just punching it into a calculator. And secondly, there's no education. And so without accountability, there's no consistency without consistency. There's no results, you know, because Everyone I work with, their breakfast is perfect. And then what happens? Oh, lunch and dinner is pretty bad. I'm like, then who cares about the good breakfast? You know, you know, I have some clients that say, wow, I ate a salad today. I'm like, uh, you've done nothing. <laughs> good for you. But what's going to happen for dinner? What's going to happen late night? 
you know? So the way that I coach, um, I do something called extreme accountability. So clients, uh, we set up a nutritional call before their start date to go over some education, to go over brain, body hormones, what's going on, your hypothalamus, brainstem, just so people understand what's happened when you eat certain foods, because I don't want my clients to eat something because I'm telling them to eat it. I want them to truly understand because without education and knowledge, there's mm -hmm. less chances of uh, sustainability. Um, we'll talk about electrolytes. We're going to talk about paleo, you know, macros, things like that. Um, there's no weighing and measuring on my coaching because I don't believe in it. I think it's unrealistic. No one's going to do it forever. And it's stressful for most people. So I want to teach my clients on how to intuitively eat, not only know what a balanced plate looks like, but what it feels like to consume. Um, and then on their start date, we, I require all my clients to text me a picture of their food a pic, like, in real time. So they have to be sending me three food pictures a day. So awesome. that holds them accountable to getting three meals, allows me to see what they're doing with quality, quantity portions. If they're doing too much or too few of something, I'll let them know if the plate looks good, I'll give them a thumbs up. And this is where the honor system comes into play. If they eat or drink something off plan, they have to take a picture of it and send it to me, which deters them from doing it because obviously they know what I'm going to say. I actually spend more time with my clients talking about their triggers, their traumas, and their stressors. Because mm -hmm. as I mentioned before, our relationship with food stems from our childhood. So if we don't talk about what your triggers are, then no long-term success will ever happen. Because if we just ignore that stuff, guess what? When our time together is over and you have a trigger, you're going to cope with food. And right. if we don't discuss, talk to people about very intimate things, you know, sometimes I'm like, man, I should be charging, you know, therapy rates. Um, but it's important to discuss those things because it's not going to be perfect all the time. I've suffered from mental health issues my entire life, depression, anxiety, PTSD, and anyone that suffers from mental health issues understands that it's not going away. We have to coexist with it and learn how to coexist with it. So it's important to kind of have those conversations to when someone has like, I, you know, a client, you know, is going through a breakup or their pet dies or something happens that they have no control over. <clears throat> Um, we need to discuss those things because, you know, I always try to reframe their perspective or at least at very best, just be a soundboard for them because sometimes we just need to talk things through, but if we internalize things or we don't communicate, yeah, left to our own devices, we're going to make the wrong choice. We're going to take, I shouldn't the wrong choice. We're going to take the path of least resistance and all of us are going to do that myself included. So um, that's kind of how I coach. It's very 24 seven. I'm a, I'm a concierge service to my clients. Anytime they're having a weak moment, they text me. Anytime they're unprepared, they're out about in the world. And they're like, I don't have lunch prepared. I'm just a bunch of fast food places in front of me. What do I do? I help them pick. They're going to a restaurant Friday night. And they're like, I don't know what to order off the menu. Every restaurant has a menu online because of COVID. They text me uh, the link to that menu and I choose for them. So I, I try to be their eyes in the beginning so that, they develop an uncanny ability to be able to navigate in the real world. And I jokingly tell all my clients when I start with them, look, if I could follow you around all day and watch you eat, I would, but that's creepy. Yeah. So, you don't want me doing that. Um, so that's kind of my, my approach to nutritional coaching. It's a lot more work on my end, but at the end of the day, if my client doesn't see results and more importantly, can't sustain those results, mm -hmm. then no one wins in this relationship. That's intensive. That's like a complete immersion into like, food therapy, food knowledge. Yep. I can see how that would, well, I can see how it's a ton of work for you, but I can see how it would work as well. I would just be afraid to get dependent on it and to 
Well, the food picture taking and the texting me those pictures, um, you need to view them as training wheels. So whether people know it or not, I've created that system because it's the act of taking the picture and texting it to me is reinforcing a habit. So what will eventually happen is that you remove those training wheels and the habit will hopefully still remain. And people that feel scared that you'll become dependent on it, that just tells me that you're still dependent on uh, certain foods. So until we can get you to a point where it's not about like, everyone's chasing aesthetics. I want a nice ass, I want abs, I want nice arms, I want shoulders, I want nice legs. It's like, look, all that stuff is just a consequence of doing certain things. You know, don't worry about that. If you want to lose weight, stop focusing on the number on the scale, focus on what you're putting in your body and, and those types of things. Because the, if you do those things, if you're consistent with nutrition, you're eating three whole meals, uh, balanced whole food meals a day, no snacking, doing these things, you're going to naturally, that's just a side effect of that, right? Um, but most people, what happens is they start realizing, wow, my taste is changing. Like mm-hmm. I, I, I had a client that, again, little confession session, he didn't tell me, but he had a donut. He was at a, a high school reunion and they went to a donut shop and he just sends me the picture of this eclair that he took a bite of. And I'm, I just text him back, I'm, what, what is this? And then he says, oh, you know, I messed up. I'm like, clearly you messed up. I can see it. And he says, what sucks is that, uh, he says, the things that I love so much now taste like crap and they make me feel like crap. And I said two things. That's great. But secondly, let's think about the words you're using. When you say this sucks, does it, you know, Mm -hmm. if you say it sucks, yeah, it's going to suck. If you say it's hard, it's going to be hard. So I also coach my clients through being conscious of the words we use in our heads because Mm -hmm. our self-saboteur is strong. We've all heard that voice. So it's a matter of just changing that perspective. Everyone always says, oh, we had, everyone had pizza tonight. It was so hard. It's like, yeah, if you say it's hard, it's going to be hard, you know, but if you tell yourself you don't need that right now, or that's not real food, you know, or just what are your goals? It's, it's a lot of, it's, it's a lot of psychology, right? You know, so I spend more time trying to train people to either talk back to that self-saboteur voice or be conscious of the words we use because they do have power. So, you know, it's, and look, this is coming from someone that sees the world as a glass half empty, you know, I, that's just the way I see things. I, 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 given my, my, you know, circumstance and my experiences, unfortunately that's, I wake up every morning and the first thing I think is what's the point, you know, and it's taken me many years to combat that, you know, and I can't change that. It's just the, my default, but I will say without a healthy lifestyle, um, eating healthy, being active, you know, and then doing all the other stuff outside of those things, like I said, bonding with loved ones and just, doing things that are good for us. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I wouldn't be here, you know, 100%. So I, I, that's my goal as a nutritional coach and just a coach in general is to, um, in some ways pay it forward because so many people are struggling with mental health issues and they don't know how to handle it. And they don't realize that food is making it worse. Um, so, so it's just trying to, the analogy I use is that I want to get people's brains and bodies back to factory settings. The way it was designed to be you know, used and functioned as, um, but the problem is everything's messed up based on processed foods and sugars. So it just takes time, you know, and that's the frustrating thing is most of my clients are like, well, it's only been a month and why haven't I, why am I not where I want to be? And I'm like, you've been eating like a jerk for decades. <laughs> you, you can't expect one month 
everything's just, and we both know it is super easy to gain weight. It's super hard to lose it. And it's just one of life's cruelties, but you know, it's just trying to understand that this is a lifestyle there. I don't like the word diet, you know, and I know that that's thrown around a lot, but again, when you are where you want to be, whatever that means, where your clothes fit, aesthetics, number on a scale, whatever it is, that is the time where you can, and, and it's consistent, it's automated. Then you can go off plan maybe, you know, and have a treat meal and do these things. But then you come back to that homeostasis, that baseline, right? But that just takes a lot of time to get there, you know? And too often people are unfortunately just impatient. So I always tell them this is a marathon, not a sprint. All right. And you're absolutely right. And we would be, we would be lying if we, we said that as you got older, it was easy. I know I was that kid that could eat whatever and still be a stick. Right. But hit that 40 year mark that goes away, (laughs) that goes far, far away and you have to be more conscious. So, and what you're doing is more of a, a well-rounded wellness. We're not just talking about gut health or joint health or, you know, we're mental health. We're talking about emotional health, a relationship, the health of relationships. So I think that's pretty, that's pretty freaking cool. And you, you touched on a point that I did want to wholeheartedly agree with. I have personally, I call it eating clean. Mm-hmm. I'll eat, I won't have soda. I won't have sugar. I won't have processed anything you know, for a week or even just a few days. But if you, after that time, if if I eat something like a donut, like you said, a donut, I'll be physically ill from it. And I think that's a, that's a good reminder for me and for people is if your body is rejecting it like that, it probably isn't, it's probably not the right thing to be putting in you. Well, a hundred percent, but let's just back that up and say, all right, flour. I challenge Mm -hmm. you go to the grocery store, buy it, eat it right out of the bag, you're going to get really sick. And so the thing is, is that people don't think about that. Right. Um, so yeah, I want to get people to a point where it's not about guilt. Oh, I ate that. I feel so guilty. I need to go run 10 miles, you know, because you can't outwork a poor diet. Um, I want to get people to a point where, yeah, it hurts you enough where you're not going to want to do it for a while. Right. And that's how, like, look, I still have treat meals. I'll have gluten once in a while and those types of things, but I go in knowing I'm going to have a rough five or six days post meal. And it always happens five, six days after I have like a, like regular pizza, as much as it was great in the moment, honestly, I don't do it very often anymore because it's like that, that feeling is so fleeting. It's so quick. And, and, and it's this instant gratification that just dissipates and disappears. So for me, I'm like, that wasn't even worth it. You know, I just feel sick now for five or six days and that meal lasted an hour and I'm paying for it for almost a week. So for me, it's like, look, I'll have, I'll try to do other versions of that where either gluten-free pizza doesn't taste as great, but a little better on me. Um, cauliflower crust, eh, really hard to find a good one, but you know, if I have that, you know, not terrible, you know, but again, even those things I don't always feel great on. So, you know, I, I do believe like if you're going to do it, do it, but only if you are in a place where you can get back on track, or you're in a place where you are, where you want to be, you know, most people look at me and they think, Oh, you always look like that. Or, Oh, you probably never eat anything crappy. It's like, that's not true. You know, I've just found what works for me and what, in terms of what I can get away with. And it's not, it's everyone's a little different. So that's part of my coaching as well is that once we get you to where you want to be, let's talk about maintenance. 
Let's talk about treat meals. Let's talk about celebratory events, vacations, holidays, these things that are never going away. So most people just want to stick their heads in the sand for the next three months right now and just say, I'm going to let future self deal with it January 1st. And it's like, no, there are guidelines we can follow. I'm not saying you can't have certain things because we all have, you know, nostalgic meals and dishes that we love, you know, and I'm not saying you can't have those things, but we need to just be mindful of when you're having them, how much you're having. Um, if you drink alcohol, you know, that's another thing. It's like, you know, people overdo both. And my rule of thumb is, look, if you're going to do alcohol, do the alcohol, keep the food clean. If you're going to do the food, no alcohol, at least that little choice, it's fine. You know, it's not going to be perfect, but I'd rather you have one of the two evils rather than both evils, you know? Um, so, yeah. Well, and you're right. I think, I don't know if what the, the, the brain link is, but there's something between drinking and overeating, right? Mm-hmm. When you drink alcohol, you tend to overeat. And another thing is, uh, you said it earlier, but the thing that tells us that we're full, but the problem is when you're eating something that's really good, mm-hmm. personally, I know I'm full, my stomach hurts, but I got, I got three more bites and this was, this was delicious. So I'm going to, and I'm going to force myself to finish yeah. it because it's so good. So <laughs> Like you were saying, maybe take smaller, because have you seen Thanksgiving plates? If we're going to oh, talk yeah. about, yeah, maybe one spoonful. And then if you're still hungry after you've cleared your plate, go back. Right. Yeah. But it's very much the mentality of like, go big or go home. It's only once a year. Yeah. It's like, Hey, that's fine. But first off, you know, who likes being that full? I hate being that full, you know? Um, so as I've gotten older, you know, I just, I'm like, look, I'm going to have a little bit of this, a little bit of that, you know, I like stuffing, but I'll do a gluten-free stuffing, which to me tastes the same. Um, and still, I'm not going to feel amazing after that meal, but definitely far better than if I were just having a bunch of like actual gluten, but I know, okay, I'm just gonna have one serving. That's it. And it, it, you know, fulfills that fix. And, you know, I feel like, all right, it feels festive and, you know, because I love the holidays. We all do. I mean, so I'm not saying that you need to be that weird person in the corner saying, I'm going to eat my own meal that I prepared. It's like, no, you don't have to be that person. Um, but just, um, you know, it's easy to want to go ham on everything. Um, but at the end of the day, it's more important to just, just remember what your goals are. If you have no goals, then obviously then what's the point? I mean, you need to write down your whys. And if your whys are not strong enough, honestly, I can't help people. You know, I tell them all the time. I'm like, look, if it, if I'm getting to a point where I have to be texting someone for food pictures, it's mm-hmm. like, this doesn't work. You know, you can take a horse to water. You can't make them drink. So, um, I mean, I have fired clients before <laughs> just because I'm like, look, this isn't working, you know, and I, I can't in good conscience keep taking your money if you're just not going to be on board with this and that's okay. You know, that's on you. That's, that's your choice. If you're not ready for this, that's fine. But I, you know, being on call to that person 24 seven, it's not fair, you know? Um, that I'm having to reach out, you know, at least meet me halfway and send food pictures, you know? So, but, you know, I typically through the first consultation with anyone I work with, I'll get a good sense of how strong these people's whys are. And it's the people that are really ready to make change that I'm excited to work with. Um, It's the ones that are like, "Uh, why can't I have that? And why can't I have this? And it's like, okay, this isn't going to work. So. Right. And, and sometimes the, the mental block it's just going to be, it's just going to be more than you can break down around. 
and that's not your fault and it's not really their fault either it's just it's not the it's not the space for them to be in yeah and look my coaching doesn't always work for everyone you know um and that's fine but i would say the majority of people that i work with uh it does work because people need accountability right so and i think another thing um and this could be personal as well is i think a lot of times people try to do too much maybe in their fitness journey like they everybody's like diet and exercise diet and exercise sometimes Mm -hmm. brains you can't do both of them at the same time you get over and what do you do you don't just drop one you quit both of them right yeah yeah so i always tell people that you like i said you can't outwork a bad diet right so people are are just trying to crush themselves thinking that working out is going to get them their dream body or get them to lose weight Weight loss, I'm sorry, has nothing to do with exercise. Exercise is good for mental health. It's good for physical health. It's good for cardiorespiratory health, all those things. But I've worked with far too many people that have been doing CrossFit for years that are still overweight. Mm-hmm. And they're going to CrossFit five days a week. And you would think, oh, these people should look like Adonis's. They should look amazing. But they look the same. And it's because they're still eating a poor diet. So I always tell people, Look, if you're most people's goal is weight loss. And if that's your goal, that's 99.9% nutrition in the kitchen. So I tell people focus on that because that's the hardest part, right? You can crush yourself in the gym for an hour, but the next 23 hours of your day, you can quickly undo everything you did in an hour um, just through one meal, right? So I would say if you apply all your mental bandwidth to nutrition first and don't worry about exercise. Because once you start losing the weight, <clears throat> first off, you're going to feel better, more motivated to, to go to the gym because right. let's say you lose 20 pounds. That's a 20 pound vest you no longer are wearing. Right. And I do workouts in 20, 30 pound vests all the time. And that's rough. It's like, ugh, I don't want to gain 20, 30 pounds. This would be rough. So um, always start with uh, nutrition and then get into um, exercise uh, once nutrition is, like I said, automated. Um, and what I mean by automated, I use the analogy of children brushing their teeth. You have to tell children to brush their teeth all the time. Why? Because it's not automated. They just don't get it. Um, So that's why over time, it doesn't require a lot of mental bandwidth for us to practice some good oral health and hygiene. Um, But it's because it's automated now. And so that's what I want to get people um, to a point when it comes to food. I think that's amazing. And And you're absolutely right, because I feel like I'm too fat to go to the gym, right? So I say to myself, if I lose 10 pounds, if I lose 20 pounds, right, then I'll start working out because, well, part of it is like, um, I guess, paranoia or anxiety that they'll look at me and be like, oh, my gosh, she's so fat. But why are why else are you at the gym? Yeah. Right? Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, I would even challenge you to not go down that route in your head and say, if I lose this, if I lose that. Well, you should just say, hey, I just want to be consistent for an extended period of time, like just, I want to be consistent for 30 days, you know, just do a 30 day marker. So you're doing three meals a day, no snacking. You're, you're having balanced meals. So every meal has a protein, carbon fat off of a paleo list. Um, and that's it, you know, stick to that, do that for 30 days and then say, all right, what's the next goal? What's the next finish line? Because I also coach my clients to understand that there is always going to be another finish line. Most people just say, I've made it. I'm good. I lost the weight. Now I can do whatever I want. It's like, no, that's when I know I have certain clients that they're not ready to fly on their own. They're not, 
You know, like, especially clients that are saying that within the first seven days, they're like, what happens when I lose all the weight? I'm like, it's only day two. <laughs> like <laughs> mindset is in the wrong place right now, you know? Um, because I think a lot of people think, oh, once I've lost the weight, somehow magically I'll just stay off because that's somehow might happen. I don't know. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's trying to get to a point where you just understand what it feels like to run off of clean fuel. Because look, if you piss in your car's gas tank, your car's not going to run very well, but right. everyone thinks that they're putting premium fuel in their engines and it's subgrade on so many levels. Uh, so it's just a matter of getting the, your engine running off of cleaner fuel. And I think, or I would hope that, like you said, getting into and making it a habit, a good habit, as opposed to like, you know, you quit smoking. Amazing. You know, you, you drop sugar. Amazing. But let's make a good habit and almost to the point. And I think this is great when, when, when parents raise their kids like this, you know, eating fresh fruits and vegetables to where they see a bag of Doritos and they're like, ew. Yeah. Yeah. I, to me, I think that's great. But unfortunately, you know, around here, there's brightly colored packages, they're Mm -hmm. crispy, crunchy, they're sugary. Mm -hmm. So I, amazing. So like you said, we are getting into the, the murky part of the, uh, the dietary world and how we eat. We talked about Thanksgiving, Christmas and Halloween. It's a sugar palooza. Yeah. I would say Halloween, honestly, it's for kids. You know, like kind of like people say, well, I'm at a birthday party. I had some birthday cake. I'm like, is it your birthday? And they're Mm -hmm. like, no, I'm like, why are you having the cake? (laughs) You know, like stuff like that. So I I just think, you know, I, some, I I know lots of people that love Halloween most, right. It's like, that's their holiday. Um, I would just say, look, if you're going to do something, just do one thing. That's it. You know, it's one day. It's not a weekend. It's not a week. Um, fine. Have one thing. Okay. Um, but then take ownership of that and don't let that spiral into something else. Um, but the problem is that's not, that's not what Halloween's about. It's about a big, you know, treasure trove of candy that you've just collected. And I said, look, if you're trick-or-treating as an adult, <laughs> yeah, I don't know, a little weird, but cool. Fine. I, I just think that that's more for kids. You know, and I'm not saying kids can't have sugar and those types of things, but you need to educate them. You know, this is not something that's a regular thing or should be a regular thing, but the too often it, it often is. So Halloween, that ki- the, the candy that kids eat on Halloween is no different from what they're eating during the week. So that's the problem um, for Christmas <clears throat> or Hanukkah or whatever, you know, um, holiday you celebrate. There's always going to be some type of, uh, you know, uh, I want to like not pastry, something sugary, something, you know, whether it be cookies or pie or whatever it is. Um, again, same rule. If you're going to have that, just make sure everything else is clean and make sure you're doing it to, for one meal. And it's not all three meals, you know? Right. And I know that's hard, especially in my family where during, you know, the holidays, things are out all the time, you know? But for me, I just, I think the issue is most people feel like if they don't have it, they're missing out. It's this FOMO, right? And I can understand that because all cultures are closely linked with food and family, and this is how we connect and those types of things. But honestly, I would try to find a paleo version of that treat because typically to me, they taste better. 
And then you don't have that feeling of like, I feel terrible, right? So if you like sugar cookies, you can do a gluten-free sugar cookie. You can make it with honey instead of sugar. Like there's lots of different recipes out there nowadays that you can recreate. I have an amazing paleo pumpkin pie recipe that has literally the only sugar in it is uh, maple syrup. That's it, right? It's just pureed pumpkin. It's Vietnamese cinnamon, which is a little stronger than normal cinnamon, nutmeg, you know, you know, all those things that are in pumpkin pie. And it's just coconut milk. That's it. And it tastes exactly like pumpkin pie with all, all the crap. And you could do, uh, you can do an almond uh, flour crust, or you could do, uh, I mean, if you want to go gluten-free crust, that's fine, but you can make the versions of what you like in a more healthy way. And there you don't have that, that feeling of, oh, I've missed out, you know? So I would just suggest trying some recipes, you know? Um, but if there's one thing that's just super traditional, don't change that. I wouldn't ask you to, but know that that's the one thing you're going to have. Um, and then other than that, really, I think too often people put so much emphasis on the food, which is closely tied to the bonding. And mm-hmm. I'm like, why don't you try to bond without the food, you know, um, and be more present because I, I guarantee you, most people are so focused on what they're eating that they're not exactly present. So it's little things like that, you know, try to be more present, try to, uh, because too often our minds are always racing, right? Um, just slow down, just really take some time to bond with friends, family, loved ones, and view that as something special, you know, because I think that's easily overlooked and sometimes often taken for granted. Um, because look, you know, none of us are going to live forever. And so, why don't you try to really cherish the time you want you have with those people because they're not going to be there forever. So, um, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Fill up on, on conversation, fill up on connecting. I think part of the problem with Thanksgiving and why people overeat so much is it, it's an all day preparation. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's early, early. Starving. dinner. Yeah. Yeah. Starving by the time that food gets on last before, because like, all you hear is the sound of cutlery on plates. Yes. Yeah. And it's like, then people kind of sit back and they're like, so Bobby, I I see you got a new, you know, and it's like, (laughs) we've just inhaled, you know, two pounds of food. And now what I do on Thanksgiving day is that I have a very healthy breakfast. So I'm not like, because most people just want to fast all day and say, I'm going to go big for dinner. Hmm. And it's like, I'll have an actual healthy meal so that I'm not inclined or really honestly don't feel like stuffing my face. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but for me, honestly, in terms of food or alcohol, I prefer alcohol. Right. So I'm going to make that choice. Like if I'm going to have some drinks throughout the day on Thanksgiving day, I'm pr- pretty much probably not going to eat anything. I might just have some protein and some vegetables for dinner. Right. Uh, and, and I'm okay with that. Right. Because I'd rather for me, actually, I like bonding over a drink. Like that's, that's my thing. Right. But everyone's a little different, but I take ownership of that. So I know, all right, I'm having this. So I'm not going to have that because that's just too much for me. Right. Um, so it's little things here and there, but you have to be conscious of these things. Um, too often people just go on autopilot. Um, and that's what I'm going to be doing with all my clients through the holidays is holding them accountable to, uh, be mindful of these things. Um, so that they, we don't completely derail. And I'm not going to tell any of my clients, they can't have something on Thanksgiving or Christmas or Hanukkah or Kwanzaa or whatever they celebrate. 
um, because that would, I think, be unrealistic. Um, and let's be honest, I think there it would form a little uh, resentment. <laughs> so I don't want that. Um, but I think that there is uh, a fine line where you, you know, I don't, I don't honestly believe in the concept of everything in moderation. I do believe that you can treat yourself, but like I said, you need to be rock solid on your, your lifestyle first, and then it's okay to venture back and forth. Right. Well, I mean, even parent, you know, if you, if you tell someone, no, you can't have that, not only are they going to have it, they're going to have a lot of it. Yeah. 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 And I think it's just educating children, you know, um, well, yeah, and adults. <laughs> well, that too. I mean, yes, you're right. Uh, you know, um, sometimes like I'll have a client that doesn't uh, tell me that they've cheated until the day after. And I always tell them, look, I don't believe in confession sessions. That's a moot point. You've just reintroduced an addictive substance into your system. Um, but the, the comical part of that is when they do confess. And I'll say, why didn't you take a picture of it? And the number one answer I get from adults is, I don't know. And I said, look, if you were five years old, that's an acceptable answer. <laughs> you know why he didn't take a picture of it. Be an adult and own up to it. That's all I ask. Take ownership, you know? And I think too often people always, I had one guy that blamed his girlfriend the whole time. I was like, don't blame her. He's like, well, she bought it. I'm like, she didn't force it down your throat. I was like, I, I honestly think that's pretty crappy that you're blaming your girlfriend. You're an adult. You made that choice. So be an adult and own it. That's all I ask. Just own it. You know, it's the people that are always coming up with excuses where I get a little frustrated. I'm like, come on, let's, right. let's be real here. You know, no one was holding a gun to your head to eat that. You consciously did it and you didn't take a picture of it because you knew you, you really shouldn't have been doing it. And, and, and I, I tell my, I'm not going to dwell on things. I'll give tough love when I think is appropriate, but ultimately we just need to keep moving forward, you know, and I don't ask for perfection. People are going to mess up and that's fine, but we need to have those discussions. And, but more importantly, we need to talk about the circumstance because too often people are like, well, I went off plan because I was super depressed or I had a trigger at work. I was like, okay, let's talk about those things because those things are always going to come up throughout your life. So let's learn how to combat those things and, 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 no, have a game plan so that when it does happen again, you have a, a better chance of not derailing yourself. So, and I mean, you're absolutely right because when someone is is untruthful or hides something or you know whatever it is, we're we're more upset that like if they don't like you said if they don't own up to it, it's not necessarily yeah what you did was was crappy and I'm mad about that or I'm you know I'm disappointed or whatever the emotion is. But when you say, oh, uh, you know, you try to shift blame. Now I'm I'm 10% more upset or, you know, more disappointed. Yeah. Say it. Just put it out there. Yeah. And, and I think too often people nowadays just like to do the blame game. Mm -hmm. um, and it's uh, <clears throat> as much as I'm not. I mean, look, if you haven't heard of uh, Jocko Willink, I mean, he has a book called Extreme Ownership. He's a former Navy SEAL. Uh, you know, some of this stuff I like, some of it I'm like, yeah, um, but there is some merit to the concept of obviously extreme ownership. You know, it's just, uh, that's part of also being a good leader. You know, mm -hmm. you have to own up to your mistakes. You need to take responsibility because ultimately if you're a leader, it falls on your shoulders. 
you could totally blame the people below you that made these mistakes or whatever, but who is leading them? You know, so it's those types of concepts where that's transcended to all facets of life, right? Down to the little things of like taking ownership of what you ate, taking ownership over the choices you make, you know? Um, So yeah, look, us as human beings, we all want more control in our lives. And I said, look, the one thing you, you can't control a lot of stuff in your life. Right. Um, and that's one of the challenges of life and adulting, Mm -hmm. but the one thing you do have control over is what you put in your mouth and your body. So focus on that, you know, let go of everything else because you're not going to be able to control that. Um, and look, it's easier said than done, but that's part of my coaching as well is helping people hyper-focus on the things they have control over. Um, you know, so, you know, and all of us have different circumstances, you know, we all have some of my clients have pre-existing issues and things that it is what it is. Right. Um, Randy Pausch, uh, he has a great lecture. He passed away from pancreatic cancer, but he has a great lecture online on YouTube. It's called the last lecture. And I think they transcribed it into a book. Um, but he talks about this idea that, um, I think it goes like, you can't, help the cards that you're dealt, but only how you play your hand. And I think that that's really poignant. And I think sometimes we are thrust into situations that we didn't have a choice, you know, um, but it is what it is. So why not make the best of it rather than blaming everyone and coming up with reasons why you aren't where you want to be because this and this happened. It's like, look, it is what it is, but you have the choice, you know? So, you know, it's a lot of things like that. Um, what it boils down to, it seems, and, and this could be an oversimplification, is taking ownership. And it's, it is, it's like a literal case of your body, your choice. You're choosing what to put into it. You're choosing how healthy it is, mm-hmm. right? And that it's hard work. This isn't an easy thing. It's not easy to be healthy. It yeah. should be. It seems like it should be really easy, but it's not. And it's a lot of work. Yeah. And anything of value takes work. You know, and, and that's the thing. It, it takes time. And, you know, eating healthier nowadays is harder because, like I said, the food industry has done a very good job of getting us addicted to foods. Um, because remember, the word engineer is true. They've engineered food to take over parts of our brain and receptors that they know exist and work. And it's just, hijacking our brains. And so look, no one's going to go up against big sugar. You know, it's just not going to happen. Um, but look, most cancers only fuel the sugar, right? And so when people think they're eating sugar-free products and they're not right. And if you have a family history of cancer, guess what? You're setting yourself up for a lot of failure. Um, but I don't blame the person. I blame the food companies. I blame the marketing. I blame all the people that you know, make it possible for people to actually buy product thinking it's healthy, you know? Um, and it's, it's criminal at best, but unfortunately this is the country we live in, right? It's all about money. You know, it's just my job as a nutrition coach to educate people, um, so they can sustain, uh, weight loss or whatever, you know, working towards. Yeah. All right. We're getting down to the nitty gritty on time. People, People that are interested and everybody should be interested unless you're in health and I don't know who you are. (laughs) If 
If they want to work with Chris, they go to beyondthetats.com. Mm-hmm. You can go to beyondthetats.com. You can look at some before pictures and after pictures of clients. You can read testimonials. Um, the website will also go over uh, the platform that I use in terms of how I coach. Um, <clears throat> and then there's an intake form at the top of the web page. So you just fill that out um, and I can you know, schedule a consultation call with you. Um, or you can, obviously, if you want to follow my content, it's all under the same handle beyond the tats on Instagram and TikTok. TikTok is more just funny stuff, but Instagram is going to be more, um, nutrition and fitness based, uh, content. So. And like we said at the beginning, this is, this is online. This is virtual. You don't have to live in, in Texas. I work with people in all over the States, Canada, Australia, London, um, I have a client in uh, Norway. I mean, it's all over the place. So Italy, actually, I have a, a woman I just started working with that lives in Italy. So yeah, it doesn't matter where you live. I work with people all over the world. Thank you so much for joining me. I hope we can do this again because I'd really love to have a conversation about nutrition, nutrition. And you mentioned, because people think, I know we're running out of time. People think that if I just eat fruits and vegetables, I'm doing good. But huh, plot twist. Not necessarily the the produce that you get at the stores is good for you as well, or that good for you. So I would love to have you come back and and we'll talk about food in general. That'd be great. Perfect. Well, thank you so much. And you have a wonderful day. All right. You too. All right. Bye, Chris. Bye.